with you guys. Remember last week I wanted to present five basic facts about prayer as we bring our series to a closing here. And we saw last week, basic fact number one, is that believers in both the Old and New Testament had no problem believing in both the absolute sovereignty of God and the necessity of prayer. Do you guys remember the two examples that we looked? One from the Old Testament and the other one from the New Testament. From the Old Testament, we looked at Daniel and his prayer in chapter 9. And he prays because he knows that God has appointed the very thing that he's praying for. And then we looked at Acts chapter 4, when the disciples are let go from jail, they're beat up, and the leader said, if you proclaim the name of Jesus, you're going to go to jail, and you may even die. And they pray the very things that God had ordained knowingly. Not, not by surprise, not as robots, but they pray because God is sovereign. And then we saw, in fact, number two, that it is not wrong for us to pray what has been termed selfish prayers. Now, things for us, uh, keep, keep our kids safe, uh, provide income, that kind of stuff that can be thought as selfish. Uh, and we saw that, that that is consistent with what the scriptures teach and the sovereignty of God. So those are the only two things that we saw Last week, Lord willing, today we're going to finish the three, the, the last three points, which are shorter than the first two. Uh, we might even end a couple minutes early, and if we do, I'm going to enlist your help in preparing the next sermon on First John chapter three. You might say, "What? Isn't that your job?" Yes, but you can help me in that because I'm a little stuck, uh, and maybe you can think with me about the, the next passage. All right, so basic fact number three, as we finish this uh, talking about prayer, and, and, and this is it. P- prayer is asking, not telling God what to do. Uh, there Often, though, the New Testament does use um, verbs in, in the imperative when talking to God, but those are imperative of entreat, entreating God. You're asking God to do the things that uh, you, you, you like Him to do. So real prayer must be seen as asking, not only in the way that we say, but in the way that we actually think about them, that we're asking God to do something. We don't see that in our circles as much, but in some circles you have people commanding God to do this and commanding God to do that. Um, and that's not what we are to do. So real prayer must be seen as asking, and in order to be able to have that attitude, we have to realize that God has every right to say no. We really only have the attitude in prayer that we are asking Him when we realize that it's okay for Him to say no. He has the right, the authority, and sometimes even the duty to say no so when, when prayer is understood biblically, it is seen to be an attitude as well as an act. It involves the response of the heart to reveal truth as well as words of petition. So let me mention a few things that prayer is not. Prayer is not giving God advice and telling Him what to do, when to do it, and who to use to accomplish it. Prayer is not trying to coax God into doing something. Uh, I don't think we think that way 
But when you use the word just in prayer, what are we really doing? Aren't we trying to minimize what we're asking? Try to see maybe, maybe if God thinks I'm asking less, you actually do it. God, I'm just asking that you do this and that, the other thing. I don't think we think about that, but that's really what we're doing. Most people use the word just just to fill out space. I don't know if you notice that. The word Lord, the word just, are often used to just fill out space that uh, you don't, we, don't, we don't want empty in our speech. But that's what we're doing. We're trying to minimize. We're trying to uh, manipulate God. And prayer is not manipulating God. Prayer is not giving God information that he did not have before we prayed and gave it to him. So when we're praying, we don't have to recount the story in its minute details. Have you ever prayed and carefully explained to God exactly what was happening? And when you finish, now you thought, now, now, now God gets it. Now he has all the information he needs. Now, I read of a guy uh, this week uh, uh, that he was praying about a, 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 a plane crash somewhere. And that he read on the paper. And he stood in, in a prayer meeting and said, Lord, I ask you to bless the families of the people who died in that plane crash over in... And the men forgot where the thing was. And, uh, uh, Lord, I forget where it happened. But it wasn't the paper this morning. As if God had to go look at the paper to figure out. And we just hope that God looked at the right edition of the paper uh, to get the, the, um, the prayer. Now, we, we smile at the story, but we do not have the same... Don't, don't, don't we have the same attitude when we feel now God really has a story when we tell them? So remember that when you're praying, especially if you're praying in a group, aloud, we don't have to give every detail. And we don't have to give... No, Lord, uh, when Kathy goes to surgery, we pray that you be looking over the surgery. We pray that the surgeon would hold the scalpel with the right hand and that the incision would be exactly three inches. And that, no, we don't have to be praying prayers like this. And sometimes, no, we've been around people who may do that. So prayer is asking, not telling God what to do. Basic fact number four. A belief in the sovereignty of God will not hinder real prayer, but instead it will foster it. It is really a belief in the fact that God is sovereign that it will propel us to pray. Not the opposite. I venture to say that you have never been in a prayer meeting where anyone who believed that he could determine his own future, somebody who believed in self-determination or at least denied God's sovereignty, prayed according to that belief. Can you try to voice a prayer that does not acknowledge the sovereignty of God? How that, how that prayer sound? How, how, how would that prayer sound that does not acknowledge that God is in control of everything. Anybody wants to take a stab? It's not a prayer. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a prayer, yeah, maybe, but uh, no, people might try. What did you say, Linda? I was going to say, if you say, if you can. Sure. Okay, yeah. I, I actually um, heard of a guy or read of a guy who tried. You know, he, he really hated the sovereignty of God. He said love God, but he hated the idea he was sovereign over people's lives. And every, every prayer meeting, this guy would pray almost the same prayer to a point, and then 
he would just get so frustrated with his own prayer that he would just forget it. He would do something like this. Lord, I know you love everyone in the entire world exactly alike. You love every person in the United States. You're trying to save every soul in our state. I know you love everyone in the town of Lewisburg. By this time, he was talking more slowly, measuring his words. Lord, I know you love everyone living on 3rd Street. You love both of my neighbors. And about this time, the man would begin to cry and say, But Lord, they will not listen to the gospel. They will not come to church. Oh Lord, send your Holy Spirit and convict them. Oh God, begin to draw them to yourself. Because there's no way that you can pray a prayer that does not acknowledge the sovereignty Oh God, it just doesn't work because prayer is asking God to act. And if He's not sovereign over everything, He can't. He can't act. And according to this book, that man never really saw that he was constantly forced to acknowledge God's sovereignty before he could pray. He tried and tried, but he couldn't. Don't we all love I hope so. The absolute sovereignty of God when we're calling on His name in desperate need. Do we want to pray for a God that perhaps might be able to do something about our situation? Or to a God who certainly and absolutely can do something about whatever it is that we are asking Him? It has been said that we can hear plenty of Armenian sermons, but you will never hear an Armenian prayer. Because it just doesn't work. It just doesn't, doesn't work. It's also difficult to hear an Armenian hymn. Uh, it's very rare to be able to... Uh, you know, even if you look at Charles Wesley's hymns, or um, uh, the lady that we sang the hymn from tonight, in the you know, rigged-up favorites that we had tonight. <laughs> uh, 586, Francis... She... Her theology was way out there. But then when she would put, write hymns, it would reflect the, the sovereignty um, of God there as well. So it's difficult to sing Armenian songs. Um, basic fact number five. Prayer is essential because God has ordained it as one of the means to accomplish His decrees. Well, prayer is essential because that's one of the means that God has appointed to accomplish His decrees. The question is not, can God do something without prayer? But rather, has God Himself sovereignly decreed that He will use prayer as a means to accomplish what He has ordained? And the answer is yes. God ordained not only what He's going to do, but how He's going to do it. And one of the ways that He's going to do the things He's going to do is by the prayers of his people. So a real burden to pray does not begin with us, but with God. Now, having said that, I'm not saying that we should only pray if we feel like it. I'm not saying that. Though the burden for prayer starts with God, it does not mean that we only pray when we feel like praying. As a matter of fact, whenever you don't feel like praying, those are the times that you should pray the most fervently. Now, some, some burdens come as the Spirit of God communes with our spirit. Have you ever been in a place and just felt this prompting to pray for somebody? Now, the, the Spirit can do that. So some of the burdens of prayer comes from that. 
from that by other burdens come directly from the command of the scriptures. Right? God tells us to pray for certain things. So that's a burden that God has given to us for prayer, whether we feel like praying for it or not. This, this evening I read to begin the, the, our time together, First Timothy 2, 1 and 2, where we are to pray for the good of the civil magistrate, for blessings. And, 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 and Paul says, you, if you want to live a peaceable and quiet life, that is a life in which the there, there's no chaos in society, a life where the civil magistrates not always interfere in your life. You what you do? You pray for them. That's what First Timothy two, one and two. Now, how often do you, do you feel this great burden to to pray down from heaven the blessings of God upon Governor Inslee? Right? <laughs> Heather, the most honest, she says never. <laughs> but the scriptures give us that burden. So we don't have to wait to feel like that. We just do it because that God, God has initiated that burden to do that. And that's just an example of other things. Pray for your enemies. The, the Bible, God gives us that burden in the Scriptures for us to pray for our en- enemies. And lest we think that we're to pray for their demise, it, in the same passage, we are to bless them. So the implicit the implicit thing there about prayer is that we're to pray blessings for our enemies, not um, we let God be the one that vindicates us or to avenge us. So we, we pray for their, for their good. What God has told us to pray about, we must be praying about. That's a burden that comes from Him directly. Even more clear is a burden that's even more clear than that prompting that sometimes you get, that burden to pray for somebody that is in your heart, because it's clearly stated in, in the Scriptures. And I think I can say without fear of contradiction that we will cry to God for the things that we really want. Is that fair to say? That if we really want something, we'll cry to God about that? That being true... Our prayer life is a good bar- a barometer. You know what a barometer is, right? And I think I'm saying it right. It's an instrument that measures atmospheric pressure. So, it, so our prayer life is a good m- measuring tool of the spiritual condition of our Christian life. Because what is it that we're crying out to the Lord? Those things is what matter to us. And that tells us something about our own hearts as well. Now, when we really want something and plead with God with a burdened heart, then God must either grant the request or break our hearts and say no. Are you with me on that one? And you're okay with that language? But I hope so. I mean, maybe emotionally we're not okay with that language, but those are the only two options. Right? How often have we neither a burden nor a broken heart? Or we neither have a burden that we don't, we're not crying out the Lord, and we don't have a broken heart either with the, with the nose, because I hope I'm not the only one that gets nose. I hope that's a more of a common experience. So why is it that our hearts are not more broken over those nose? If, if God opened the windows of heaven this very moment, and poured into our hearts every single spiritual blessing that we have been burdened to pray for in the last month. 
how many of us would be precisely as spiritually empty as we would right before God did that? Does it make sense what I'm saying? What if God said, I'm going to grant you right now every spiritual blessing that you've been clamoring about for the last month? Would our hearts be filled with spiritual things? Or the doors would open and maybe a thing or two trickle down? What is it that we're praying? What is that that's burdening our hearts that we're bringing to the sovereign God for Him to accomplish? And sometimes we blame God for not for the way things go. We blame God for the things that are happening in our lives. And yet, we may be the ones not bringing before Him the very things that He can accomplish in, in our lives. So, a firm belief in the sovereignty of God is in no way conflicts with or in any way hinders true prayer. I hope we see that. It's actually the contrary. Nothing is so contradictory as believing in the sovereignty of God and not praying. That doesn't make sense. If we believe in the sovereignty of God, we can't help but pray. Because we're convinced that God can do whatever He wants. Now, I wish... uh, Our sanctuary is pretty bare, right? There's nothing on the walls. um, uh, uh, On purpose... But we had, if we had more space to put stuff up and decorate, um, I would like to have a sign that would say something like, I'm starting to sound like Pastor Lima and I, with signs and stuff like that. Uh, I would like to put a sign that would say, a day without prayer is a day that totally denies the sovereignty of God and glorifies the self-sufficiency of man. So a day that we go without praying is a day that we say, I don't need you, God. I am sovereign. I am self-sufficient. And we go about our merry way. If you truly believe in the sovereignty of God, as we've seen for the last two, three months in talking about prayer, you're going to be driven to prayer. Because not to pray is to deny that God is God. That's what we're doing when we don't pray. Any thoughts about prayer? Jerry? Could you go back to the last slide? Do you have a specific scripture that would back up what that says? I, I don't remember seeing the scripture that talks about um, something. What God has ordained to accomplish His decrees. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think if there's some specific scripture illustrate. So think about the, the scriptures teach that we are to pray for the unsaved. I believe that. Okay. Do the scriptures teach that God has ordained who is going to be saved? Yes. So put the two together. God has ordained who should be saved, and God has commanded us to pray that the unsaved will be saved them together, then we can say that God has ordained that we pray so that He will save those that are His. Does it make sense? So it's a, it's a biblical argument more than a one particular okay. verse. Okay. Right? 
your 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 kingdom come, your will be done. Right. So that right there is in, in the Lord's prayer. We have that as well. Any other questions or comments about prayer? Yes. I'm familiar with that. Yeah, the conversation. I don't know that I've said it, but I'm sure it's been said. Yeah. yeah. Looks like something Nick would say. Yeah, maybe. Um, so it's a conversation between him and Melanch- Philip Melanchthon, I think. You're wrestling with God. You're bringing all kinds of things before God. And you are worshiping Him. You're adoring Him. You're, you're praying the scriptures back to, to Him. So all that is part of, of, of praying, not just relating a particular set of events or accounts either. And there is the just, just begging, please God, please, please God, do this for me, please God, you know, uh, as it were, wrestling with God um, is not vain repetition. You're not trying to convince God by just mumbling something, but you are wrestling and just coming before Him and pleading your case and and just throwing yourself at at Him. That takes time. It can take time. Does it make sense? Yeah. Nick. I'll just go back to what Jerry was asking. Uh, scripture that came to mind was Second Chronicles seven fourteen. That's right, the one about the United States. <laughs> if you want to take it out of context, <laughs> yeah, you know that one, Jerry, about it, my people who are called by my name, repent and pray about these things. Then I will do those things. Where God says, if they pray, this is going to be the means by which we're going to do. What I what I'm going to do. 